The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. This is the Anime Roundtable Canada on this Wednesday evening, May 25th, 2022. You can contact us online on the web, animeroundtable.com, Twitter and Instagram, at Anime Roundtable, and email, animeroundtable at gmail.com. It's been a while. Wait, has it? Yeah, it has been, has, hasn't it, right? When was the last time we were on? I'm guessing not that long ago, right? Yeah, a month? That's a while for the way things have gone here. The good news tonight is it's not just myself or Mo or Kevin. It, it, we got a full table again. So uh, Mike Nicholas with you from Six Points. And then remotely, it's a full table, as I mentioned. James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, Jeff Gregg have managed to join us. Our schedule's matched for a couple hours, guys. Thanks for uh, taking the time. It's been a while. But I'm glad to chat with all, all of you at once again. Especially you, uh, James and Jeff, because uh, you weren't around the last time we were here about a month ago. So what did you guys talk about last time? I forgot. My notes are <laughs> my notes are missing. Was and it was it about Will Smith single handedly helping the Oscars uh, find relevance? Was that it? Has it been that long? It's been more than a month. Yes, it's been more than a month since then. <laughs> oh my goodness. Ah, uh, what do you make of that? Okay, uh, we we I don't think we talked about it at the time, but we've had a month and. Do you guys want to say something about this? I'm well. There were a lot of things going on with the Oscars because Disney had them on the leash, saying we need to make this shorter. So they did weird, different things. There was the other thing with uh, animation. If you look at, for example, there was a great acceptance speech for animated short, and then you saw the introduction of the Disney princesses for best animated film, and you were kind of like huh, that sounds like very different, their idea of what animation is. Well, I didn't, an, I award never got to. an award show disrespecting animation? Who would have thought? Yeah, Let's just say that they, they made it sound like animation is that thing family-friendly, your kids can't stop talking to you about and stuff like that, so I guess all those uh, more mature stuff we've heard about, they're good for the whole family, as they say, right? I think it's uh, yeah. time for a, a remake of Barefoot Ganon. Oh, well, we're going to talk remakes a bit <laughs> later. But there's there's an idea though, and uh, maybe a worthwhile one. Actually, like, I don't think for many different actually, reasons. I don't think they should actually remake it, but like I feel that there should be 
like something that that really makes uh people understand the variety of of animation like i i like a lot of of you know family friendly i guess air quotes animation like the the biggest things i mean one ended um for me lately has been amphibia and owl house uh by disney um disney animation or television animation whatever their studio is and those are you know technically kids shows but um you know there's so much variety that uh award shows don't pay attention to and that's how it is yeah well that's why that's why there's probably a separate awards remember the the, Annie's. the keyword with with uh with with the oscars was always relevancy in recent years right that's a catchphrase with them these days the flash entering the speed force hmm. i mean that was the greatest moment in all of cinematic history come on guys which one the flash entry speed force uh, no comment there i i'm still digesting it Okay. So from the past to the future, I hear that uh, next weekend would have been uh, Anime North, but uh, they're going to do a little something, right, on the Saturday. Yes, they are. Okay, more on that a little bit later on, because I think that that would be perfect for the uh, calendar, wouldn't it? Right? So, yeah, we'll talk a little more Anime North a bit later on, because we are taping on what would have been Anime North weekend. And, uh, we're, well, we're past the second anniversary of the pandemic series here, at least for the podcast. We're past second anniversary for a lot of things when, it, when you say pandemic, really. So, yeah, we've been at this now for uh, two years. First of all, I'm really sorry that it's taken this long for another episode again. There is, like, as nice as it is to have some sense of normalcy... Sometimes there are cases where, you know, life can really get in the way of these things. And maybe there will be the odd moment when you just say, especially when it comes to wanting to do this podcast, I miss the pandemic. (laughs) I mean, if you miss it so much, it might be another one around the corner. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yes, that's. Are you are you saying uh, the monkeys uh, that's are true. coming to uh, give us their pox or something? I mean, you guys have to remember, Mojo Jojo is gonna get his revenge. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, well done. Uh, well done. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just that that that's that's been the thing. Hopefully, we can uh, get our schedules to uh, match up a little better. At least uh, once every few weeks, we can do something like this. Okay, so. James, Jeff, do you have a thought on Netflix? Since that was the main thing we talked about a month ago, and there's been another, we've had a month to let the whole news settle in. Do you want to say anything concerning Netflix quickly or anything that's come up lately and some of the thoughts that have uh, come out over the last month in relation to Netflix and streaming services and anime? Nothing nothing surprising, I think. It's like, as we said, uh, maturing industry and stuff like that and more competitors and so now they're gonna have to go back on certain things and they're gonna have to look at ads uh in the uh, programming again i guess so they're probably gonna do a lower tier just like the other guys as we know and the other thing is as we said price increases and stuff like that to make all that content you got to somehow pay them 
And uh, the thing with that is prices are going to go up. And the old joke about it, oh, it's cheaper than cable and all this other stuff. Well, guess what? We're back to where we were with cable, right? <laughs> yep. You're never going to escape it. <laughs> oh, Jeff, you have a thought? Shaman King is available on Netflix. Um, <laughs> uh, the final part should be, I think, later in June, July. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about Netflix, um, like for, you know, various reasons. Um, at this past Halloween, so, you know, six, seven months ago now, I guess, um, I had a student, uh, for Halloween cosplaying, because I work in education, um, <laughs> a student who cosplayed or dressed up as Psyche K. Um, which I considered a fairly obscure choice for Halloween. Um, a couple months ago, I saw a student uh, sketching uh, Psyche K as um, like a sexual, um, a romantic representation. Um, they just wanted to draw, um, you know, a bunch of different LGBT characters. Um, and like, I, I asked them, it's like, is Psyche K popular? Um, or, you know, whatever the life of Psyche K, the full title of the series, um, is it popular? Yeah. And they said, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, do you think, I wasn't intending to make this a podcast um, research project, but I asked, like, um, do you think it's because of Netflix? And they said, yeah, probably, because, you know, a lot of people have access to it. Um, and I've seen the first few seasons, and I enjoyed it, but it is not the kind of series that would, you know, ha- elicit cosplay and and sketches I think if it wasn't for Netflix, um, and you know, as I've mentioned in the past, I'm I'm a fan of you know the um, uh, globalization, I guess, of anime um, in you know in lighter ways, um, like with that. Um, what was that heist show called? Oh, uh, Great Pretender. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so in light ways like that and in more significant ways with something like, um, super crooks, I think that's what it's called. Um, and you know, there's, there's all that kind of good stuff. Um, I, I think, you know, we might get into the voice acting element of it later, but, um, we will for sure. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I think that there's, there's, it's, you know, I think it offers a fairly good variety, a fairly good uh, combination of um, not super old series, but um, at least here in Canada, we have a, a fairly good variety of what people would call classic series. And, you know, the the mega popular and the more obscure. Um, so I think the, the variety is pretty good for a platform that isn't an anime platform. Um but uh, right now, uh, if I was like, if I was paying for my Netflix account, which I don't, I'm part of the uh, maybe soon to be axed, uh, you know, um, multiple accounts just system. Guarantee- mm-hmm. Yeah, just guarantee whoever is your benefactor, maybe a, a Tim's card or something. Well, I don't. This is this is this, <laughs> this is the discussion Neil and I will probably have in the, in the very near future. By the way, just for reference. <laughs> So, so like if if I was paying for Netflix, um I would I would cancel it uh because like they've they've been doing wonderful things, but the recent like um like announcements of like if if you have 
uh, moral problems with what I'm doing quit. Um, so like that's rubbing me the wrong way. Um, you know, I mean, that that's, that's, that's kind of whack, right? The whole, you got to quit if you don't like working on Netflix. It's, it's not like, of course, like, I feel like if it was phrased like that, it would be, it would be better, but it's clearly, you know, saying like, oh, if you have problems with all the racism and transphobia, maybe you should, uh, you know, part of our corporate culture, you should maybe find other employment. Like it's like Netflix was warned. Um, I don't have the article in front of me, but Netflix was warned about at least uh, the uh, Chappelle special, and I'm probably the Gervais one as well. Um, and, you know, it gives them press or it gives them, um, you know, eyeballs and stuff. So they, you know, it is, unfortunately, this attitude Netflix has recently, it's a feature, not a bug. Um, they despite all the positive things they've done, like Heartstoppers and what have you, uh, they are still profiting over overt, hateful speech. Um, and yeah, I would cancel Netflix if I was paying for it right now because of that. Like, I would pirate their shows. I don't care. Like, it's unless they change, um, I'm pretty open and happy to say that. Well, Or I'd watch it another like- way. It's kind of like uh, me saying, uh, okay, maybe I'll uh, pirate Kenshin. Yeah. <laughs> the anime re- starts. <laughs> We've had that discussion six months ago. See, and I forgot to give you guys the article because I looked this, uh, apparently this uh, showed up on my feed. There was a line from, at least in Japan, that... The stream that the streaming side uh, in uh, is gaining gaining some traction in Japan, and maybe that shouldn't uh, be a surprise. That, you know, these things eventually would happen. It is, you know, we 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 mention it because Japan loves its physical media. We've always said that. That's a line we've used in the past on this podcast. But it's made some inroads, and I think that it's dominated by. Amazon Prime and Netflix. I think those are the two main players, but there's like literally a dozen main services there. Disney's probably swimming uh, in the waters as we talked about before. So obviously those untouched uh, untouched markets they're going after and stuff like that because the other markets have grown to a certain extent as far as they'll grow. So they had to go to those uh, untouched markets frontiers and a lot of them especially japan and even korea we've seen they've made a lot of partnerships to make those gains they're at now obviously yeah so i was about to say yeah and there's plenty of other services i mean when it comes to netflix on the jlist blog about not too long after the whole uh, like um, almost a month ago there was a line about have we meet, reached peak Netflix and um, Peter Payne, the uh, you know the famous uh, the famous owner of J List, kind of gave his thoughts on it. And it's not all he didn't think of it as necessarily all bad. It's just a crossroads. And he stated, you know, lack of worry for the anime industry, which is probably a fair statement to make. Just more of a worry for any production that is specifically under the. Netflix umbrella. 
that was where the concern was. And remember, considering considering some of the venom that does exist for Netflix, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. Like Cowboy Bebop, right? I think it's more of when the money is going in from Netflix and some of it is more under their control because we've seen with the cuts and that animation got hit hard. And I'm trying to think of how many they actually got out the door before they just mothballed it, right? And it feels like a lot of the other tech companies like Google and that where they start saying, then it feels like if it doesn't work out within a minute, they mothball it, which is kind of sad to say the least. RIP Google Plus. <laughs> I was going to say Stadia, but yeah. When... Wait, Stadia's still around? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to Netflix and anime, I am like, I guess this is a question for everyone, or at least I'm curious um, if anyone has any thoughts. Um, and I, I guess I'm wondering how you feel, um, and this is, I guess, pretty much Netflix exclusive, how everyone feels about binge culture when it comes to anime. I'm not sure if you mentioned this last time, because, you know, in, in sort of recent reflection, um, like in general, like I'm, I'm fine with, with binge culture to, or with binging, I guess, or multiple episode releases at one time. Like if I think to you know, whether it is the the Shaman King reboot or Jojo um, Stone Ocean, and think back to my time of like watching those series um, where they're releasing half seasons or many, you know, full seasons of 10 to 13 episodes and thinking like, okay, yeah, I enjoyed watching, you know, three or three episodes in a row, two episodes in a row and, and having all of those available for me over a weekend or a week. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that was fine. But I'm I'm thinking to you know, recent or a little bit more in the past experiences with um, Invincible and uh, more recently uh, the latest season of Young Justice or Star Trek um, Strange New Worlds. And like, I feel really big excitement for the next episodes. Like I am waiting for, uh, you know, Thursdays where, you know, both Star Trek and Young Justice uh, drop. And there is a palpable excitement. And I'm not sure if it's just you know, those types of storytelling is working. And I think Invincible had had similar, although Strange New Worlds is episodic. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, do you think anime, um, and anime is a very broad medium, but do you think that a lot of series will, will benefit from these uh, ep- large amounts of episode drops? Or do you think some will, will suffer? Um, like I think Japan Sinks works as a drop because it's essentially a movie, but I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, yeah, what you think about if if it will hurt other series? It suffers. Assuming you're not a one shot or a movie, it suffers. Hundred percent. Oh, I was gonna say it's a case by case situation, right? I mean, not I was every- gonna say the same as Mo too, case by case, right? Well, go ahead. I, I mean. I was just going to say, for me, it's like when Arcane came out, like that was three episodes, three weeks. You know, that was pretty cool. But I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I like it when it's week to week. Uh, Young Justice week to week is cool. Uh, week to week in general is cool. That's, you know, that's how it always was the excitement of watching the episode in the next week, right? But I do prefer chunks of episodes. You know, if it's a 13 episode or something, getting two episodes a week or three episodes a week, you know, but that's just me. That sounds like that sounds like the uh, 
to a, a version of the Amazon Prime way of doing things. I think the or other thing is, I think about week to week, right? Is how you engage with the content and stuff like that. Is like some people when they go to week to week, they don't want to be spoiled or anything like that, and they want to either go on to Twitter, go to the water cooler wherever the water cooler is, right, and discuss with other people what they saw and their excitement and stuff like that. So I wonder if that plays a factor in there too. And then some people, they may not come on board till way later and stuff like that. And as we said, may binge it and stuff like that. So they will have been past that, uh, how do you call it, the water cooler talk or that uh, excitement oh, when it originally aired. Yeah. Well, let's call it, let's call it the break room. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's weird. It's just we're in a hybrid state, I guess. I guess a hybrid seems to be another word, a catch word these days. Because for me, it all depends and stuff like that. And like some, I'll be like, I want to see it. Like if I'm excited about it, I want to see it the next week. I'd rather get it sooner. And other ones, it's like whenever I see it, I see it and stuff like that. And I guess a lot of the talk that happened around anime that went against Netflix and stuff like that, that they wanted the week to week is because we were so used to that for the longest time because of Crunchyroll and Funimation and stuff like that and them doing simulcasts and stuff like that. And if we had talked to ourselves then a decade earlier in the early aughts, we would have said, no, it's never going to happen and stuff like that. There are too much red tape. No one's ever going to be able to do it like an hour after they broadcast in <laughs> Japan and stuff like that. And then there we are and stuff like that. And even now we're at a point where we have dubs like in your local language, even quicker than we ever thought possible and stuff like that, where it's like, maybe it's the same day, maybe it's just a couple of weeks later and stuff like that, which is kind of nuts to think. Like they're almost in overdrive creating these shows to localize for certain markets. And that's why it takes so long when you have to do that binge one, because there's so many languages you got to do and so much just to get it right. And it's, yeah. you, you, you know... Go go ahead, Jeff. No, and it's interesting because you mentioned that, like, oh, we're used to it. Um, we're used to the episodic, you know, week to week basis. But when it comes to anime in particular, um, a lot of my early, um, you know, consumption of anime, especially because I I do enjoy English dubs, it would be buying a set and essentially having the option um to watch multiple episodes in a row if I so cho um chose. Like a lot of like, aside from whatever YTV would show us, um, you know, that was until, you know, the infamous uh, three part 11 minute episodes of Host Club on YouTube. Um, until that, <laughs> until that point, like that was the option. It was seeing what DVDs the high school or university anime club had um, making the big purchases at Anime North or at Starstruck Enter Entertainment um you know stuff like that so it's it's interesting that like in in the in my opinion or from my perspective uh the world of anime has always kind of had that option of some series are going to be week to week and some are going to be stuff you wait for and get in uh 13 or 52 episode chunks i guess in a way like i can see what you mean and i did think about that in a way but I felt like we we're so much smaller of a community back then. And even instead of like trading the tapes that were fan subs and stuff like that, we were trading legitimate tapes and stuff like that. I felt like the penetration wasn't there 
where it is now. And even when they started doing the simul uh, cast and stuff like that with Crunchyroll and that back in uh, 2010 and that. It's, you know, it's just weird how our, how anime consumption in many respects tends to be contradictory to maybe more mainstream versions. It used to be back then. We, we as fa- uh, our fandom used to get, we're used to the binge watch because of tapes, because of fan subs. I remember in the late nineties, uh, getting a, getting like a friend of mine lending me, um, like a whole six hour tape of Ranma dubs. And I sat there watching it all night. It was literally a dozen episodes, but that, but this was, but in a, it was in a culture that was into watching television on a week to week basis. And now we're at this point where, you know, we, I, I guess we have to kind of reconcile what's been in our fandom and where it could go in the future. And that future strangely could go back, could go to a model that was very Western nineties in terms of watching television shows or just nineties altogether in terms of anything in terms of mainstream or whatever region is considered mainstream for its consumption of television shows. Right. I mean, as I said, this is, uh, I mentioned just before we taped, this is us on NBC ended this week. Right. Although maybe the only difference now is our culture likes to talk about, you know, what happened in it, our water cooler to extend James's um, metaphor our water cooler is now on the is now on the internet. It's just it, it just it, that's what's uh, interesting about it about where our thing is now. Now to more uh, an opinion uh, on Jeff's uh, question, my opinion is probably runs uh, along the lines of Muhammad and James's uh, thoughts, which is where which is uh, when when you asked that question a couple minutes ago, Jeff, it was more. Okay, I thought about Yasuke. Yasuke was six episodes, right? You could have watched it in all at once. I chose to watch him in, I think, chunks of two. So I watched it over three different sittings over a couple weeks. But you can put, make an argument for both, I guess. But then again, it was just more the time for me. But yeah, it's just one of our weird cultures. And... You know, and we talked about, you know, this, uh, um, me personally being very busy at the moment. So I haven't had time to watch things these days. I have, I barely got through two episodes of Kaguya-sama in the last week. And before that, it was zero. The new season or an older season? Uh, the second season. Okay. I'm in the middle of the second season. The new season's going, and I know they bring out episodes weekly. And then I, maybe I'll, I'll watch Spy X Family as well. Just to just to, just to screw around with my head, I I I mean I I have uh I have the first episode of the second season of Be the Beginning, Be the Beginning. How long has that been, James? It's been a while, right? Because they already had that physical edition that took forever to get out, right? And I'm, I I I know there's the sequel, but I haven't gotten to watching that either. So I know, and that was a shorter uh, run. Oh, that well, that isn't that isn't that the second season? Yeah, so. there's the second season I know, which is a sure one, but I haven't gotten to watching that. You haven't seen it yet. I, I, I just I, watched I the first. Got, 
I barely got into a couple minutes of the first episode of the second season on Netflix. Yeah, so I'm not there yet. So I guess I'm behind you. Wow, imagine that. As you said, too much content out there, right? Well, it's a lot to go on. And I don't know. It's just, this is an ongoing thing. This is like one of those ongoing tensions and maybe one of those things we talk about, we'll talk about. Uh, do you think our fandom now is in tune to doing things weekly on a weekly basis? Yes. I think it's, it's trying to, I think the industry wants it. Um, the powers that be in the industry are trying to steer it that way because, you know, here's the irony to me. You want it. Uh, if people outside of Japan want to consume it the way the Japanese do, Sometimes it is going to be weekly, right? Well, the, the, that argument, that argument, you can twist around a bunch of different ways. I guess as, as we were talking about long before, it's like we're going to go full on uh, Japan if Crunchyroll has their way. It's like you're going to get that TV version there forever and ever on streaming. And if you want uh, all the corrections and everything and perfect animation and retakes and whatever else you want, you better... You pay for I, the Blu-ray, right? A pay for the Blu-ray or a ver- or a, a version that will have to be paid for in a premium sense. Uh, Kevin, give me a thought. So, I look I look at Stone Ocean and how the first twelve episodes were dropped at once, and people don't really talk about it because hmm. it was released all at once. Whereas I look at previous seasons of jojo's bizarre adventure and why do you think it blew up because people were reacting to episodes every week on reddit on forums like you know i i'm okay with like two or three episodes at a time that's fine but like i think for new shows it's integral to have these episodes trickled out because you want people to talk about these shows. You want people to anticipate the next episode. You want to see, like, you want to see the fans and viewers react to your product. Yeah, you need a longer tail, of course, especially for the merchandising and for everything else. If you only are there for a moment, then you better get a lot in out of that one moment, right? And, and it sucks. It's like a viral moment. So. Or kind of like the uh, cherry. And it sucks how like this happened with part six, where you know it's the female JoJo with a mostly female cast, and it's a pretty one. Of, it's one of the better JoJo arcs. And, and I'm just like, really, like it had to happen. You had to, you had to do that Netflix, really. Especially when they have been testing out different methods. It's like, yeah, why did you do that with Stone Ocean? I don't get it. We'll never know. Mm. Well, there you go. So, as I said, I, I, like, no right answer, like, I guess. I think of the times when I watched like anime on YTV. I was watching Witch Hunter Robin as it, as it came out on YTV. And I was watching Gundam Seed. And we would go on the Xanon forums and talk about how, like, oh, wow, this came out, and can you believe what happened? And it was, the Xanon kind of forums 
uh, before this is before when Je- this is before Jesse turned into a podcast. Uh, it was it was just a nice little community of people who just cared about anime in Canada, like cared about anime being broadcasted in Canada and theatrical releases in Canada. So, and also just on on other forums too, like with. Let me think. Okay, so a little bit of a break in thought, but I remember when I watched Higurashi as it came out in Japan back in 2006. This is the first series. And I remember the Anime News Network forums were like thriving because, well, it's a little extreme, but the Higurashi thread was often uh, being very active by people like myself who were reacting to the episodes and trying to theorize, oh, like, how come things are happening this way? Like, I wonder who's going to die, and why did they reboot as if the first four episodes didn't happen, and people were theorizing about different things, and that just really added to the discourse and built a connection amongst total strangers. And that's what generates buzz. That's what generates excitement. That's what generates fandom. It's our cult. It's it nurtures the culture in many respects. The water cooler, the the virtual water cooler again, right? But um, just a quick aside: um, Has anyone ever watched episodes of ANN After Show? Is it really that type of thing? Is it really t- look back on like an episode of a series or something? I actually haven't watched any of those. No, I haven't really. I know they they have other things they talk about, what's in the news and things like that, but they talk about a specific anime. They've been talking about different ones, obviously, since, um, oh, was it Attack on Titan ended? I think the last one was about the new Netflix series uh, Vampire in the Garden, which was an original from Studio Wit, and that one was easy for them. I think that one was five episodes. That was oh, yeah. another interesting uh, animation take. It wasn't its traditional, hey, here's 12, 13 episodes or 26 episodes. It's like, here's like an old school OVA type thing, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So just to, and maybe now to close the topic, now that you brought it up, James. And to close the topic on Netflix, because we really should move on about 33 minutes in. What become um, Netflix did do an, make an investment of some sort into studio into studio wit, right? We talked about this some months back, like less than a year ago, but months ago. Anything on that with all the issues going on there? Or can we make a make a guess or just that's what it is right now? I'd have to go back and look at that because I'm not sure because remember, Studio Wit is a part of IG port which is Studio IG, Studio Wit. There's some other ones like Zbeck, like other animation things. Uh, Garden Mag, which is manga and all that stuff. So that probably is where they can get some of their source material. So there's a lot going on under there. But it's kind of funny how under IG Port, I feel like it, I feel IG, Studio IG, they still do great animation stuff like that. But it's almost like Studio Wit has kind of creeped up behind and overtaken them in a way in conversation as a prestige studio, right? Yeah. And so there's, I guess there's, there is some curiosity as to how the whole Netflix thing is going to affect them. 
and obviously they've worked with them on other things on the IGN, like Ghost in the Shell and stuff like that. They've been doing stuff uh, on that with them. Mm. So the questions will continue and uh, it's ongoing. I, if I'm to make a guess, you know, maybe it's just, this is just a part of the way business goes and everybody in, involved will just adapt in whatever way they need to, to keep going. So in that sense, let's not worry about the industry. It's there. It just has to. It just has to evolve, and we'll watch it, and we'll uh, give our thought, uh, give uh, our thoughts, and you know, try and make sense of it. I guess. Here's another thing that we have to try and make sense of. Okay, this has been an ongoing discussion. We haven't really talked about it here. Um, everybody's trying to unionize these days, isn't? Aren't they? We heard, okay, we, well, the dub thing we're going to get to in a couple minutes, I mean, the, with Crunchyroll. Um, just to preface it, remember, I think uh, dub's done under um, under the Netflix banner. That got SAG. That got S, uh, that went under SAG at a point. I, I constantly joked around about uh, about Apple, about Apple stores wanting to do so and, and stuff going on on Amazon. Everybody wants to unionize. Which part of this story... Which where do you want to start with this one, James and Jeff and guys? Well, do you want to start with uh, crunch, the Crunchyroll end of the story, or do you want to start with the, or do you want to go to the Seven Seas part? Well, it's kind of all over the place on that one and stuff like that, as they say, especially with the pandemic and with everyone uh, getting crunched. So it's across many many industries. It isn't just video games. It isn't just manga. It isn't just dubbing studios and all that stuff. The other thing is uh, you have to engage your workers and stuff like that. And for some places, a union may work. And for others, a union may not work and stuff like that. It all depends on how you're going to organize and stuff like that. And certain parties, when they talk about unionism, they don't talk about the full picture and what the union can bring and stuff like that. There are some places, and I know Kickstarter, they tried to do similar things but that union a lot of those people got bought out was you can't guide the principles of the corporation or the company you can't be the head of the ship you can control your working conditions your pay how things are done that are on the employees and obviously the people working for that company but you can't then overtake the company you know what i mean that is the ownership that has that responsibility and stuff like that. You can't negotiate for that. And that's why it feels that we've heard some of that. But overall, from what we were talking about, uh, manga and anime, that is, uh, I think, and even video games, legitimate uh, concerns that are where uh, unions can help and stuff like that and may need to be put in place to have that push to say to people, hey, we either need to get things right one way or another, right? And unions may be a part of the answer, depending on how it goes. Because as you know, as some unions grow older and things like that, sometimes they don't always work quite the way members may want, right? But in this case, it probably would work out. So do we want to start with seven C's or do we want to start in dubbing? Or I have trouble. Like I, I read, I, I skimmed through the uh, Crunchyroll story. It sounds like it's less... It's it, the union just comes into the story a little bit to me, but really the focus is really just getting back, like becoming more Texas centric again. 
and that's they... where I think some of it happened and stuff like that. There were two things in there. They were obviously talking about um, SAG, which uh, we've heard about before and stuff like that. And uh, that's obviously the one that uh, Netflix signed with for all their dubs to be unionized. And then the other uh, one is just an advocacy group, which was uh, CODA, which was a coalition of dubbing actors, which they were, they did, I guess, a a town hall, a virtual town hall, so to speak. But they were just advocating, which was CODA. And so they were Mm -hmm. talking about that. And as we saw with this season, all the new stuff, basically, if it hadn't had a dub before, they uh, all went uh, to Texas to basically where Funimation was and stuff like that. And supposedly, I guess they had invested in their dubbing studios and all this other stuff. They wanted to get used to it. And as we know, when Sony originally bought Funimation, they talked about how they dubbed things and stuff like that. And good or bad, that is what they were looking at and stuff like that. And so, obviously, this is a big thing. It helps Crunchyroll as well and stuff like that, where they're going to go into Texas. The thing is, I'm not sure how much they can actually... We know how much content there is. I wonder what their ceiling is, because they're dubbing in it a lot of anime this season, and it's a heavy season because it's spring. Other than that, all those L.A. studios even though all the ones Crunchyroll originally did were not unionized, right? They were doing low rates. It'll be interesting to see whether they go back uh, there or not, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. And they're also going in person only for a lot of these dubs. So before they were actually doing virtual recordings and stuff like that with the uh, VAs, and they were going outside of Texas and California. They were going to uh, New Frontiers which was great, but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And a lot of them, they went to Texas because, as we know, right-to-work state, right? So they know that helps them in one way, whether that's good or not. Probably not the greatest in uh, the worker sphere, right? But as they said, if some of them got together, you never know. It's like if they said, hey, we want to do something better. I wonder how long it would be before Funimation, Sony, and Crunchyroll, whoever the heads are, decide to make a deal, right? Because that makes me wonder. Because I know the California people aren't going to come to them if uh, they say, hey, we need someone to dub these episodes, right? Hmm. And as we know, too, just to put a quick point on it, there was Ascendance of a Bookworm, season three, and they just started putting out English dub episodes. And that cast, I'm going to assume it's the whole cast, but I know from the tweet from uh, the actor that played the main character of mine, she said, I'm back as this character. And I said, and she said, I'm really glad to be back. And I said, I negotiate hearts because I wouldn't take the rock bottom rates Crunchyroll was giving before. So it sounded like she got a raise and some of the others that had been on cast had spoken up. So I'm guessing you don't just raise the rate of one person. I think it raised all ships, so to speak, hopefully. So what? It's it's up to the most popular ones to kind of speak up in this case. Yeah, and I know for Texas, probably that would be tough and stuff like that, given uh, all the things. And when you look at it and what we've seen before, right, it's like, 
a lot of the actors are a lot younger and stuff like that. And obviously they're just running them through that studio. And when we talk about we're hearing the same voices and again and again, there's a reason for that too, right? Evan? It just reminds me of the article where some of the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero English voice actors commented how little they made, which was pretty insulting. Yeah, that movie was huge. No residuals. It's, as I said, it's... And that was when they were doing California and stuff like that for Crunchyroll, so... It was obviously before, but it just sends it into overdrive, right? There's a cost thing involved, I guess. Always is. Well, as they said, uh, they're all under Sony, and I'm sure Sony has a, a few cents, you know, they could kind of trickle down and stuff like that if they can spend on world ro- worldwide rights to get uh, Makoto Shinkai's uh, recent opus, right? I think uh, mm-hmm. they can send some stuff... Uh, further down the line, right? You think. But, I mean, you tend to still be cynical of corporations in that sense. And the other thing you would say is, remember, Sony, it's like this uh, plays into the video games thing, too, where you would think that if you can do good rates on the video game side, then what's stopping you from the anime side? And as we know, the bookings for anime and video game VAs and dubbing and stuff like that are the same booking people a lot of the time. That's another thing too. Well, it's interesting, and on the of course we on the topic of Sony, you also you can't say that Sony without saying PlayStation at the same time. Ah, oh, what a mess, isn't it? Well, I could tell you. Remember, as we said, uh, remember we said on the manga side, and so. I mentioned seven C's, and so it sounds like on the manga side, but I think they like to say for seven C's, they are the biggest independent manga publisher because all the others are owned by some uh, corporation now. But uh, seven C's, uh, it sounds like they have formed uh, a union called United Workers of Seven C's, and uh, it was working with the Communications Workers of America and they're hopefully seeking to get better uh, conditions and hoping that, uh, I guess, management of Seven Seas will recognize them and stuff like that, which uh, we'll see how that goes, because I guess that would be under uh, the publisher, uh, Jason uh, DeAngelis. So it'll be interesting to see on that one, because remember, he started, as I told you guys earlier, uh, off air. He uh, was a translator, did uh, the first four volumes of Berserk, I remember, and then uh, started Seven Seas, and they started uh, very slow with not as many employees. And in the article, it's kind of this crazy thing where we talked about how over the pandemic, right, that manga kind of took off. So they had been in business probably for over 15 years, not as many employees, a lot of freelancers. But 2018, they were at 10 employees. And now in 2022, they're at 40 actual employees, 40 staff members. And then, of course, you have the freelancers. So it's interesting to see how they had that much growth. So you can see where they would want to have some say and say, hey, we need to pull it in a bit because they talked about being overworked, underpaid, and not receiving benefits, typical of the uh, publishing industry and stuff like that. So 
we'll see uh, how it does for them. But hopefully uh, they find uh, what they need on that end, because maybe in this case, hopefully it'll work uh, for the better. The other one that's interesting is they talk about those 40 employees, the employees, but they also talk about freelancers and freelancers will be interesting to see how they would factor into that union because a lot of the times it's just the employees but then I think of of course you look at electricians uh, construction workers and like plumbers different like uh, more manual uh, jobs that are unionized and stuff like that and some of them they don't always work right for one company so i'm guessing that's how they would do it for those freelancers but that would be interesting to see how that would work out we've had this discussion before about about working as a translator in the in the manga side so this is like another another layer now another nugget to add to this story isn't it and yeah they talked about letters and translators like there's so many little things there just to make the manga come to us and stuff like that and some of them you just forget about you forget about those sound effects and how they get them into the image and stuff like that and sometimes they take them from the japanese and put them in english and stuff like that and someone has to do that and there is an art form and we even see it in comics too right so well, let's just see. I think uh, a lot of it's just respect. And sometimes that lacks on the consumer side. Sometimes it's oh, our yeah. fandom. You, you, uh, you say that so cynically. Or so, so sarcastically, Kevin. It's a rhetorical question. I know. I know. And I say that as well, the word about... human resources. <laughs> so... What do you okay, Kevin, Jeff, what what do you guys think? I mean, of any of the of any part of this right now? Or it's real or is it just so dizzying that I guess we have to wait for the ride to to at least slow down for any of us to get our regain our bearings. There needs to be a real riot because at this moment their union is saying that as of as of right now you know, it's okay to still buy their product. So things haven't gotten too hot just yet. And that was the interesting part of that Twitter thing for, because they had their own Twitter account, right? For that uh, union. And it's just crazy that people are saying, should I be buying the product? And I'm just like, you can still buy the product. It's like they nothing that bad has happened yet. And they still, as you said, that was crazy that they said, Still buy the product, please. And we never really see that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying in other industries in that, you just hear the negative, I feel. Yeah, Jeff? I understand that, you know, this is the reality we live in, but, like, the entire story, like, I think dizzying is, is probably a good description, but it makes me sad how profit-focused um, everything is. Like the the main takeaway I got from the the article that was linked was the one immunocompromised voice actor who was like, yeah, they're forcing us to come back into the office, uh, but um, I I'm not safe doing that yet. And you know I don't know about the particular you know cities that these are recorded in, but I am you know maybe unfairly, maybe very fairly guessing that you know 
there's not going to be perfect ventilation and not most of the staff are going to be masked. And of course, while they're, they're voice acting, they can't be. Um, but, you know, theoretically, they're in a room anyways, um, like an isolated room. Um, but like, even beyond that, like with, with that, like one of the arguments that they're saying, the reason why they're forcing people back in is because they built a lot of new facilities either right before or during the pandemic when it was cheaper uh, to do so. And they don't want to take a loss on the, the sparkly new studios they, they got. Um, they don't have to, like they can figure out a way to get like one person in at a time or, or whatever. Um, well, this is the culture. I mean, that's the voice acting culture here yeah. in North America, right? There isn't that type of inter. Are, are they trying to? Are they trying to do the? Uh, I wish. Like once again, that Japanese way. That's the thing, though. Like that would be, around about. that would be more of a cost, though, right? Because you know, getting all the cast uh, in at the same time is going to cost extra. It's going to make it uh, more complicated. It's going to cost them more money. I'm not sure if they get catering, like that kind of thing. Um, I was thinking. I was gonna say, <laughs> not, right? catering. I haven't had dinner yet. So. <laughs> but like you know, as as far as like, uh, sorry to um, unburst the bubble. Like the art of acting, like would improve for some of them at least, um, or at least it would give new, uh, different nuance to so many characters, um, and and expressions and conversations if they they did more of the full cast recording um you know like traditionally japan has done i'm i'm not sure if they, they've gone back to that um as the pandemic's been um softening slightly um but i'm not I, sure in japan i but i don't yeah. the main thing is i don't think i don't think they're going to do that i think that the english language culture like there'll be an off um you know, a, an episode where they have a, a, a lot of full cast stuff that they might try to get everyone in. But it, I don't think it'll be the norm, which I think is a shame. And, you know, full credit to these actors, a lot of them do so well, and you would never know that they're, you know, isolated recording weeks at a time differently in different states and, and sometimes different countries. But like, I'm thinking about, again, from the artistic point of view, how interesting it would be to see more English dubs with a full cast recording. But again, it's tragic that, you know, so much of, of all of this is money-based. That's why Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow were canceled because they're like, oh, we don't want to rent out the space anymore. Yeah, they're getting decent ratings for what they are. The Warner Brothers themselves likes it or um, whoever higher up likes it. But yeah, the, the pop brass doesn't want to pay for the studio space. And here in the anime industry, it's like the reverse, where it's like, we want to make use of the studio space we made, so we're going to force people into dangerous situations. Um, and again, like, I get that it's a business, and I'm, you know, because it's a business, more stuff gets dubbed, more stuff gets made, cool. But we can't let, you know, human rights fall by the wayside just because of this, which is why, you know, the increased you know, unionization is probably good. And if we had, you know, stronger unions, maybe Nintendo wouldn't have buckled with Smash Brothers. And uh, I think his name's, um, uh, what is Pitt's name? I keep forgetting. Um, uh, Pitt's voice actor um, and um, uh, is uh, Anthony Del Rio, I think. Um, that sounds right, I believe, yeah. uh, Jeff. Yeah, I love his 
like voice acting. Great, great actor. But he didn't get credited for, for Smash Brothers because um, uh, he's a union actor, I believe. And Nintendo only hired non-union unless they decided not to get credit. Um, so because he liked the character and, you know, wanted to please fans, he did it anyways. And actors and artists should get credit. And yeah, if unions are, you know, I don't know if a union can get powerful enough to beat Nintendo, but maybe if it was big enough there to at least be pressure there, if like most of their cast said, you know, no, instead of three. Um, so yeah, like definitely like more power for human rights and artistic integrity and uh, respect and recognition, all good stuff. Um, well, sadly, as you kind of implied, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, you made me think as you were going on saying all of that, you know, what came to mind out of all people, all characters or all people in the world, Maud Flanders out of all (laughs) the people, (laughs) but you know part of the story there, right? Why they killed off Maud Flanders in The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I read about this a long time ago. Yeah, it's just the woman who played her wasn't always wasn't going to be available. I forgot her, um, Maggie Roswell, I think. Which is really- yeah, I think it was like over his salary, right? Yeah, it was just. It's just weird circumstances that led to her character being killed off. We've seen it, I know, on the anime side way back in the aughts and stuff like that on some Bandai releases and Genion releases where you had those really odd names. And that's because they were part of the union, part of SAG. And so they had to use a pseudonym, basically, if they wanted to get work elsewhere. And so that's one of those Mm -hmm. really weird workarounds. You don't see it as much, which is interesting. It's kind of like they're either all union or not all union and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that and, was there was a lot of that going on in the arts. Yeah. And the other thing I know, uh, to put a point on, Jeff, so for the dubs, Jeff, all the Crunchyroll stuff, it sounds like they've went to Funimation. So that is in Flower Mound, Texas, which is Dallas-Fort Worth's uh, greater uh, area and stuff like that. So unfortunately... That's where they are, and a lot of them like probably went there because it's a right-to-work state, so it's kind of not the greatest. And then when they were building those facilities, they were building them more with one person coming in and out. So I'm not sure. They'd have to go somewhere else if they wanted yeah. to do like a full ensemble, you know what I mean? Recording, which is unfortunate and stuff like that. But more power to, I'd say, it's like you say these things, you know how we kind of, bad mouth netflix and we say good things about netflix but one of the good things about netflix is someone there decided they had a conversation with sag and decided to make all their anime productions for the dubs on the english side all union and union approved and they went with it and that was good on them you know what i mean to make sure those people were taken care of and who knows hopefully that's a good sign that they think about it for other languages too right because there's more than just english actors out there there's other regions that probably need the same help as well because they do many languages as we know yeah well i mean 
maybe this comp this is where the competition thing is good, even though it's just big on big. Right? Well, let's continue to be fair. As I said, we got to continue. Uh, we got to move on. And this is a nice story. This is a really interesting story. I mean, it's sometimes we get so emotionally attached to a character, but sometimes it's because of the person who played them. And we're going to see a lot of scenarios where, uh, you know, we we could see in a bunch of scenarios where beloved characters will be voiced multiple times by, you know, different people. Happened to and just remember it happened to Ash Ketchum, among others. So this is like this is a, a really interesting story from you know from our perspective, and just can't wait to see how this goes. It so let's. Uh, get, it took quite a while to get used to Ash's voice actor change. Yeah, I so, think that the the new um, the new actor does well, but you know it's 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 interesting like how. Pokemon itself is tied so much to nostalgia um, that it's it is Perfect. still jarring. Like I ha- honestly, like you know, for as much dubbed as I watch, like I primarily watch Pokemon in Japanese now. Um, but yeah, it's it's still strange to me. Yeah, and well, I it think took a lot a of while people... for her to get used to the new rule. Um, like, yeah. It was it was noticeably different in the beginning, but then. I feel like after like a good season, it it sounded almost the same as Veronica Taylor's mm-hmm. rendition. Anyway, so let's uh, start to move on, and uh, we're about an hour in. We should start to wind it down, and maybe lighten it just a little bit as we go into. Well, uh, I hate using like after <laughs> everything. Uh, yeah. After what's happened in the last couple weeks, the short Tim and Sid made this stories. made the joke. About using uh, about using the sa- the term the bullets in talking about stories in brief, but let's talk about items in brief. These are little things that may become big things or sh- or you know presented in point form, but become can become larger essay like discussions. Were we going to ask Kevin uh, if Hunter Hunter is still uh, on hiatus? Yeah, let's let's start there because I know that I know you're excited about this, Kevin. Oh, I wouldn't say I'm like excited, but so it's still on hiatus at the moment. But Yoshihiro Togashi, uh, apparently, well, apparently, he's created a Twitter account and he posted a picture indicating that he is drawing new chapters. Uh, fans of the series will know that uh, Hunter Hunter is famous for its long hiatuses, and its current hiatus is the longest one yet. Uh, yeah. How long has it been? 2018. November 26, years. Four years. 2018. So we're, we're at around, we're past the three and a half year mark now. Uh, it's So usually... What Togashi does nowadays is he'll draw 10 chapters, enough to, for Shueisha to put out a book, and then he'll go back on hiatus. <laughs> and I, this is because... Uh, of a way to do, to do your work, by the way. And this was because, I feel like that happened because at around, I want to say it was probably 
2000 and probably around 2006, 2007, what happened was he was, he, he went on, this is, this is when he went on his first big hiatus in 2006. Uh, this would probably would have been around March. So that, and basically what happened was, okay, maybe I don't have the exact time frame correct, but when he went on a long hiatus, there were, he was only one or two chapters away from Shueisha compiling a new book to sell. And so they probably, they probably talked to him and be like, okay, you know what, like, if whenever you, you know, feel up for it, please draw at least 10 chapters so we can put out a book. <laughs> That's how I've assumed it's the case. But because now whenever he does uh, decide to draw, he, he draws enough for a book and then he'll go back on hiatus. And it's been like this since 2007, 2008. Hmm. So uh, and initially people thought that this was like a fake account or someone was being a troll, but then... Uh, I think it was One Punch Man's artist, uh, Yusuke uh, Murata, supposedly confirmed Murata, Yes. He initially actually deleted the tweet because he wasn't sure if he was supposed to have commented on it, but uh, but it was later confirmed that, yes, that this is him. So he got, I don't know, I think 600,000 follows within like a few days and lots of the king is back. The goat is coming back on on social media. It's, yeah, you know, I've always like I I've always I don't want to say I've always done this, but I remember when I was so far behind on Hunter Hunter, and then I eventually caught up, and he he was on hiatus, and you know when I was young, I I didn't understand why because. Uh, it's like, you know, didn't really learn. I didn't really know about his health conditions at the time. I didn't know about his struggles with uh, Yu Hakusho towards the end of its publication. So, you know, and, and where the story is at now, in my mind, the election arc is the end of Hunter x Hunter, and this current, this current arc is just bonus. So... With me, it's like, you know, I'm just happy when he feels up for putting some stuff out for us to enjoy. <laughs> well, anything is better than nothing, right? Especially yeah. if you're so tied to it. I honestly yeah. think he's going to die before he finishes it. Well. well we've, at the we've... pace he's going at. And because he he's said himself in interviews that he has, he has so much he wants to tell. And this current arc... I yeah. don't see I don't see this being a short arc. Uh they're currently on a boat right now. Uh the main character is nowhere to be seen. Gone is still in a near comatose state. And we'll see we'll see who has been who's been on a boat longer, Berserk or Hunter Hunter. So the question then yeah. is, Kevin, with four chapters confirmed, Gon's gonna wake up and they'll see land, right? No, Gon's not. not Gon has. Gon is not in this arc at all. <laughs> or he'll reappear, I guess. Uh. 
it's just strange that you put it in those terms since we have we are we have passed the first anniversary of Kentaro Miura's passing too. So actually it's funny because with Gone, like the way Togashi wrote with the, with the end of the Chimera and Arc, it's like, how does Gone even come back as a character? That's all I'm gonna say on that. Yeah. Not familiar, so I, I I won't even fathom, I guess. But uh there, something to uh anticipate if you're if you're a fan. Oh, you know what's funny? Um, just very quickly, someone created a chart with the movements of the Shonen Jump magazine since the last chapter of Hunter Hunter. Uh only four series from when Hunter Hunter was still on hiatus are ongoing, which would be One Piece, Black Clover, Jujutsu Kaisen, and Micro Academia. Uh, multiple <laughs> popular series had ended since that chapter, including Gintama, including Demon Slayer, Food Wars, Haikyuu, The Promised Netherland, Dr. Stone ended recently, Act Age, among others. And then all these other series that have started and ended at the same time, mostly stuff that's been canned. And <laughs> stuff that's been ongoing too. It's just interesting to see how many things have come out or ended or have been started and ongoing since. Well, it's, it's like one of those. Okay, when such and such a when such and such event happened, these things were going on as well, right? Yeah. Oh. All right, now I'm done. Okay, cool. Um, I, I don't really know what else to add to it because I've never read Hunter 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 so. It's, it's honestly a really good work. Uh, honestly, people are into it. So, so know, who I, might I, question it? It's more like I appreciate I appreciate the artistry of it and how Togashi uses Hunter Hunter as his playground to try out different genres. Every arc of Hunter Hunter is essentially a different genre with its own set of rules and and limitations, like like. I know he's really into games, so that does factor into his work, especially during Greed Island, which was like his RPG adventure kind of. Yeah, it just sounds, you know, it it sounds cool if you're if you're you really do have to be into it. But I so respect that, though. Him and the Phantom. Let's move on, then. Okay, last episode a month ago, we talked at length about Iron Chef, I think. And we, I mentioned that there was be, it would be a reboot. I was thinking it would be a Japanese reboot. No, it isn't. First, uh, first visuals came out from the, this reboot, and it's going to be based on Iron Chef America. I said, which I, you know, I, I guess that's uh, silly me. I, maybe we should just throw, uh, make um, episode 65 disappear, like I made some episodes of the original series disappear. Okay, so Alton Brown, Mark DeCascos, they're involved again in this. And, well, there's, there's a lot of layers to this story from me. To me, that's I find fascinating. And you kind of want to talk a lot about the history of the original TV series as well, the original Japanese TV series when talking Iron Chef included. Maybe the the most significant changes, aside from the fact that it, that the Iron Chef Light, uh, America license is no longer with with Food Network, 
it's with Netflix. And with it, they're, they're going to try and expand the franchise and have uh, make other regions as well. I think a, Me- I think a Mexican version is, is set in the near future. Let me just look, uh, look up the um, Chicago Sun-Times article. Iron Chef Mexico and Brazil are planned. Probably the most uh, significant difference is that there's no longer Food Network personalities serving as the Iron Chefs. But there are well-known celebrity chefs in it, um, amongst them Ming Tsai and Marcus Samuelson, who will serve as Iron Chefs in this upcoming version, which will premiere sometime in June, I think in mid-June. Kind of be funny to see, uh, like, Gordon Ramsay, how he would look as uh, Iron Chef just yelling at everyone. Well, just he, to he, make he, the he, perfect uh, risotto, right? And then see if he made the perfect risotto, if they look at it and say, this is he'll terrible. Turn it upside down. terrible. He'll turn it upside down before putting it on somebody's apron. And 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 he and it would it would be like it would be he would be like the Iron Throne of Iron Chefs in many respects. So I, that's one of the more significant differences. But then, as as more has been made publicized, there was a long conversation about Alton Brown himself and the fact that he's now left Food Network to. Uh, work on this reboot. And I think we should also preface this by also talking about, well, the fact it's on Netflix. Netflix has had an agreement with Fuji Television, who, which is the original producers and licensors of, uh, of the Iron Chef franchise. So I guess, like you hinted, you, you said, James, maybe that deal is going okay. And with the, uh, Iron, with the rights to Iron Chef having expired at Food Network, oh, you can finish the sentence if you want. As this thing is interesting when you talk about the agreement, a lot of those shows, as we know, were Japanese language originals and stuff like that. And that's how we were watching. We were watching them sub. So it's interesting that it isn't being done in uh, on the Japan side and stuff like that, and that they decided they were going to bring it similar to uh, the American side and stuff like that. And I guess, as you said, do a more international version. And I guess maybe each region may have their own iron chef uh, episodes and stuff like that. So I guess maybe Japan might even get its own original episodes, right? In Japanese and that, which would be intriguing. Which would be intriguing to see what Netflix is willing to do with the license now. Because you mentioned Mexico and then Brazil, of course. So Mm -hmm. it's, I guess, uh, so the other personality worth mentioning in, in this story is Mark Dacascos himself. Oh, yeah, the, the other final um, new little tweak is that Alton Brown, if you've, if you've been a longtime watcher of, of Iron Chef America, you know that Alton Brown does the play-by-play by himself, or did. He now has a color commentator in the form of Kristen Kish, who was the winner of, of Top Chef Season 10. So there's something else to mention. Okay, let's go back to Mark DeCascos for a second. And I've always talked about this story. I Even in the version one era, I've always talked about how he ended up with the chairman role and got to play the nephew of Takashi Kaga's character and his take on the chairman. Um, how many of you guys remember the story? Mo, Kevin, Jeff, you remember the story as I've told it before? Vaguely. James, I know, remembers. I, I uh, vaguely remember a little details here and there. Yeah, I'll, I'll okay. probably remember as you say it. Okay. No, um, the Costco's has been in, uh, was once interviewed out of character uh, about the role, and he said he didn't audition for it. He didn't really audition for it. The producers kind of headhunted him. Why did they headhunt him? 
they remember him from the live action crying Freeman. They actually liked it. And they thought he would have made a, he would be a, a good choice to play the chairman in this in in this version of Iron Chef. And this remember this came off the heels of somebody uh, of an attempt at at an uh, already an, at a USA version of Iron Chef, which kind of fell really flat. And maybe that's an understatement. Probably flatter than a souffle uh, going wrong. So. So Fuji kind of took control of this this version, a little bit more control when they collaborated with uh, Food Network to make this version and they headhunted Mark Dacascos. And that's how he basically ended up with the role. It wasn't necessarily he, he auditioned for it. It's the producers actually wanted him. And I remember Adam's um, reaction when I told him that story. I think it's a, it was either... Uh, I made him vomit on. Uh, I made him vomit on the inside, or I licked his ear. Something to that effect. But that's the short version of the how Mark Dacascos basically ended up with the role of the chairman. But there's that. So um, I thought we'd uh, mention that and try and correct some of the errors we made. <laughs> and but but I guess in a roundabout way, uh, the revelation is: who knows? The franchise still may return to its Japanese roots yet with the revelation that Netflix is out to eventually produce regional versions. I mean, yes. I mean, the original chairman's still alive, right? Can they bring him back? Um, didn't I mention that part of the story too? No, you did not. They killed him off. He was killed off long ago because in real life, Takeshi Kaga had a falling out with, uh, with the producers. Yes, I remember. Yes. In 2002, they killed off his character and that's where they started this line of nephews coming out. That's something that's sort of buried and really only known in the in the Japanese language version specifically. But it's like that's where you get a long line of nephews, long lost nephews being the chairman of the various regional versions of Iron Chef. And they make a constant reference to him as their as their uncle. But but at a point he was never even mentioned by name. That's how bad the fallout was. Much less his image. So and the uh, an attempted revival of Iron Chef, I think it was about 10 years ago. It starts with the new chairman, who's another nephew, standing at Kaka's grave. And then he walks away into the new ch- into the new kitchen stadium. That's how um that series started. Does Iron There's Chef never have- been made a uh, but to your point, Mo that fact has never been mentioned in non-Japanese language versions of Iron Chef. Does Iron, so it could happen. Does Iron Chef have lore? Like, are there, like, plot lines, or is it just, like, intros and outros, and, like, it's just, like, set dressing? They try to put, make it a plot. Like, over the, over the, like, the Japanese version always tried to make a plot. Rivalries between restaurants. Or, um... Or uh, the Iron Chef Chinese trying to trying to ward off uh, ward off challenges from one of the most prestigious Chinese restaurants in Yokohama, or the or the um, Japanese style of Morimoto rubbing a lot of traditional traditional Japanese chefs the wrong way, and even having a uh, even having a group of chefs go after him. 
So there, there's, there's some, there's some plot element, some interesting plot elements, but I guess it's just really just for television. And, and that, that, that fact, that idea was kind of muted in all, in, in Western versions, but it made for good television, I guess at the time. So who knows what will come out in the, this new version that that'll premiere in June. I'll put that on the bin. I'll put that on the queue because I'll probably still have my Netflix subscription. The only real question is when will I get the time to watch it? Uh, maybe after be the beginnings and whatever Maria Kondo presently has on there. Okay. So which one do you want to go with? Um, do you want to go uh, before we go tonight? Uh, Anime North stuff, or do you want to talk about this uh, films, uh, films article just to keep it light or which order do you want to go with? Anybody? Talk about Anne last. Okay, we'll talk about Anne last. Okay, it's a, a nice little kicker before we go to the uh, community calendar. Um, Collider. I, I, I stumbled on this uh, a couple about a, ten days ago. The seven greatest anime films worth watching twice, and it listed seven films. You know, as the article said, that are that good, and some of them you you could see coming, and others you don't. So. Let's see. Let's go down the list. And is there? And then before we go, before we go, Mike. So, how many were Hasoda? How many were Shinkai? And how many were uh, Miyazaki? Well, that's what we're yeah. going down the list. Let's go through the list. <laughs> let's go down the list, and then let's see what if anything sticks out. Or were we surprised? Um, yeah. Well, some will surprise you. Some will not. Uh, Akira, no surprise. Ocean Waves. Mm. That was surprising. That is a bit surprising, but still Ghibli. I was yeah. like, oh, this this writer's cultured, okay. <laughs> um, your name. Okay. There's there's your first way. Shinkai. Um, the case of Hannah and Alice. This was from surprising as well. Bit of uh, surprising? Yeah, it's it's uh I I actually regret not watching this when it was screening here years ago because uh, I did hear some good things about it, but then just couldn't make the time to go. But yeah, it was like mm. a, it's a, it's like a mystery. It has a lot of uh, mystery themes to it. Okay. A perfect blue. Me, um, that shouldn't be surprising, should it? Perfect blue being on this list? A good choice. A great choice. Uh, I slightly prefer Millennium Mattress over it. I, think I was thinking better, but, uh, yeah. Tokyo Godfathers. If you're going to mm-hmm. pick one for Khan, Something. I think Tokyo Godfathers would Whoa. be the better, if it isn't on the list. There, but little doubt that Khan, a Khan movie deserves to be on this list. I've mm-hmm. I've never seen Perfect Blue, but um, as a, a former uh, Yama um, member, it always will have a special place in my heart because when we would do anime win, lose, or draw, which is anime Pictionary, um, there was a stain on the whiteboard that was blue, and everyone would just point to it, and we would know it was perfect blue, and it became kind of So even though I'm sure it's a wonderful movie, but even though I haven't seen it, I, I, I still have a, a, a very fond place for this movie in my heart. Was this considering our history with game shows when uh, when Loser Draw was done at Fan Expo all those years ago? Yeah, when we uh, when um... Yeah, when we uh, did it, right? Uh, when our group did it. Anyway. Ponyo. Okay, there's your obligatory Miyazaki, but I'm not sure that would... Maybe much like uh, everything else. Oh, well, 
Kiki's Delivery Service. Okay, so two uh, two for Miyazaki on that list. And that's it. That's the list of seven. Ponyo is underrated. A little surprised to see Ponyo, actually. Uh, I didn't finish it. I've watched maybe half of the film on Netflix. It's... Mm-hmm. But you know Maybe what? This is, one... not, this is not seven greatest movies of all time. These are just seven great movies. That... Movies worth watching twice. Yeah. That, and it's always... And yeah, seven greatest anime films worth watching twice. What, what Greatest makes... might be a bit of a... <coughs> of course, it's always subjective. What makes Ponyo really good for the, the watching twice thing, which, you know, for the record, I generally, like, don't do a whole lot. Um, you know, unless it's, you know, I'm showing a movie for class or something. But with Ponyo, I feel that the visuals are are so interesting, and um, you know, it's like the Ghibli tears, but because it's ocean based, the Ghibli tears are part of the landscape um, at times. Um, there's a, I think, when it comes to like actual like animation, there's a lot to look at um, with with Ponyo, which I think is, you know, really helps that sort of rewatchability. Mm. Okay. Well, okay, Let, let's save the further discussion on this. I want to say, get, come back to this in another form, but I want you guys to at least come up with a couple movies that are worth watching twice. I, I'm not, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, and I really want to talk Totoro. Okay. You know what? I would say there's some that we've seen that have kept on coming back that I think would be on people's lists that are not. And you know what? When I keep on seeing that is kept on going back into theaters, Promare, I think, would be one people would watch again and again, it seems. Yeah. I thought... Okay, I, I guess thought, we will have this discussion. I was like... I wanna... When you said two movies, Mike, I was like, yeah, Promare and Redline. Okay. Yeah, Redline, just... Redline I'd love, but I'm not sure many people would see it twice. But I... Promare, I... It's like... Yeah, I will... I'm going to try it. I'm going to defer for a little bit because I want to at least think about this before Anime North itself. Promary, I think, would be one, but the other one I'd have to think about because there are there have been so many great movies that have uh, come out and stuff like that from different places, not just mm-hmm. the usual suspects, as we say, right? Yeah, I, I, I just would have to think about it for myself. You, I mean, Grant, I, I, I applaud you guys for thinking so fast about it. <laughs> But for me, I'd have to think about it. And maybe I want to have that discussion with the two or three members of the audience that will come to see <laughs> a, a live taping of Anime Roundtable. Um, I mean, there's, there's a way you can cheat with this. Um, and if you, if you stick with Hisoda, uh, you can watch, um, you know, uh, our, war, our war game, Digimon, and then Summer Wars. And then um, if you stretch your, your eyes a bit, Boy and the Beast, and then I haven't seen Belle yet, but from the, the trailers, like, you know, you can watch yeah, you we know, haven't the, gone. the same movie four times. Yeah. I, I love... <laughs> so um, basically, I don't love the, basically, the box set. <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily love the man, but I love um, a lot of those movies, so. <laughs> Which is a fair point. Okay, but as I said, I want to uh, just you know, just throw it out there to the audience and then maybe we can hear from them again at Anime North. Um, okay, I guess now we, we're we reaching the end and we do want to talk a bit Anime North. At, Actually, were we going to talk about the one movie uh, before we finish off about uh, Shinkai and stuff like that? Because we found out where the new movie uh, went in the end. You hinted, this. you hinted that Makoto Shinkai's latest work and I forgot the name. Kizumi no uh, Toji uh, Mari. That's and the that's working the title. working title. So they just have a working I mean, title, but 
As we yeah. know, a lot of them, they go, like, even Hasoda, they seem to go to uh, France and Canis and then sell it to different distributors, right? And this time, it's Sony basically got everywhere, excluding Asia. So it's basically Crunchyroll in North America and stuff like that. But their money uh, came through. They didn't go to G-Kids like they did uh, for the last one. Well, should we be really surprised? Not too surprising, but they should be able to at least, uh, I guess, promote it and other things, maybe for uh, the Oscars and other awards and things like that. Because I think that's how G-Kids did a lot of things that they said, we respect the cinematic experience, we'll get them into the theaters, we'll promote your movie to award shows and things like that. And I think that really resonated with a lot of creators that went to them and stuff like that and resonated with Ghibli after... I feel like they soured on Disney and stuff like that because Disney just didn't put the push in as much for a lot of the films that weren't Miyazaki and stuff like that. So do you think this will be a turn for the way Sony handles it and possible cinematic releases? I think, I guess they can, they do want to give a shot in the arm for the theater experience in that sense. Well, they've already done it as we know and things like that. And Crunchyroll did it of course, before with uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero and stuff like that. So they have done it before, but I guess this is in a bigger sphere, so to speak, right? Because they're just doing multiple regions and stuff like that. It's like pretty much the whole world, right? So that's a pretty big, uh, tall order, right? Uh, yeah, except Asia, which is pretty big in its own right. But yeah, this is uh, interesting. It, I, I just found it intriguing news considering a lot of the rest of the catalog ended up with G-Kids. Yeah, no, we were talking about that before, like uh, June 4th. Sorry, June 7th, supposedly, yeah. is going to be uh, Voices of a Distant Star, Place Promised in Our Early Days, Five Samir's Per Second, Children Who Chase Lost Voices, and She and Her Cat all went to uh, G-Kids and stuff like that. And they're going to be on, on Blu-ray on June 7th, and it's like three different Blu-rays that are going to have all those. So, Oh, I, yeah, I, didn't, I never looked at the release concerning that. If it was a box set, I'd be in. No, it's not a box set, unfortunately. So it's three separate Blu-rays, and they're on Amazon yeah, for twenty four ninety nine at the moment. Mm. Okay. Wait for the sale or get a cool And one. I think if you want voices, they packaged that one in, I think, with five centimeters per second. Oh. And I think even she and her cat was packaged in with five centimeters per second. Supposedly, the reason behind that is that happened in Japan too. Weirdly enough. Hey. Oh, because they're all short. Yeah, yeah they're all. They short. Are, those are all oh. shorts. No, of course. Well, the other two are shorts. Five cm is like three short stories, but they link together. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they do bring those out and put them in theaters, kind of like what they do with the uh, Ghibli uh, catalog and stuff like that, because. Even though they're old, they still uh, go to the different theaters and they still fill people in the seats, it seems, because I don't think Cineplex and those cinemas in the States would keep doing them if you don't get uh, warm bodies in the seats, right? Warm, warm bodies. Okay. Well, no, it's like most still going to the theaters, so I'm guessing we're still doing good, right? Mo? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Okay, now before we go tonight, we do have to fulfill our duties as a, as official podcast of Anime North and talk Anime North for a couple minutes, because this weekend would have been Anime North weekend. And failing that, it's not the case, but it's still going to happen uh, between July 15th to 17th. The virtual pre-show will happen this week where all your mainstays that have been at Anime North and maybe to some degree at Anime North Online, they will make an appearance. So a kimono, fa- a, a kimono lesson 
Anime Hell, um, D20, the 404s, they expect to see a version of that during the virtual pre-show. Um, and of course, Kai Dodge. Got to get him on the show at some point in the near future before Anime North itself. And maybe uh, we'll see how he, uh, maybe we'll get him on after he's recovered from uh, the doing the pre-show on Saturday. It'll, it'll run on the Anime North Twitch channel, Anime North Compass. From 3 to 11 p.m. this coming Saturday. This episode will be up before Saturday, by the way. I, I, I almost guarantee that. Most recent one, Mike, uh, for the pre-show set at 6 p.m., you can see VTubers in conversation. Okay. There so is different. There's many uh, different things. Because as you said, mm-hmm. yeah, kimono. Uh, there's tons anime hell we knew at the beginning and stuff like that. So there's... A lot of interesting things to get us going before we uh, hit the real thing in July, right? So Yeah, for better or worse. And I, I guess in a future episode, we'll talk about the for better or worse uh, scenario as convention season begins. Okay, on the Anime North front, is there? Well, let's go through some of this because we can't go through all of it. Is there one thing that has your attention in the latest news from Anime North that, ha- that you guys want to bring up and i'll go around the table at least once i was gonna say are you guys going to nomonoichi is that's what i want to know for kevin and uh or uh mike as well kevin your thoughts we don't know yet the applications go until the end of the week i think until saturday may 28th applications started on sunday and will end on saturday okay which i'll at least give it the college try but um first of all uh kevin do you have a desire for any inkling of desire for it or i'm i'm going to be creating my application either today or tomorrow okay for me um it actually nomonoichi will conflict with uh the tapings um anime roundtable is set to do two live episodes on the on friday the 15th and saturday the 16th at 9 p.m we have been allotted a room for 9 p.m. Um, the taping itself probably won't begin at 9. We're just going to have time to set up the uh, set up the the board and the microphones. But you can come in, we'll chat, and then we'll actually do the ta- uh, a live taping. Talk the headlines or maybe be able to talk to a guest of honor. So that's uh, there's the news, at least anime Northwise and anime Are we going to be able to talk to a VTuber, Mike? <laughs> yes. I yeah, put the challenge we're, right there. There's the challenge. Um. <laughs> I, I well, I will say I would love to talk to one of the guests of honor, but I'd love for it to be more face to face. Okay, uh, okay. So, something that you guys want to mention um, that caught your attention: the VTubers, lots of VTubers for sure this year. I saw that across a lot of conventions, though, which is interesting. It adds the question of how exactly does a VTuber attend a physical convention? They don't. Hmm. They, they stream from their houses. And then they go to our crappy uh, hotel uh, Wi-Fi, and then we barely uh, see them, right? Maybe. Maybe. Well, who knows but, uh, how this will go, to, right? Just to clarify who's showing up, it's going uh, to be Project Melody, Iron Mouse, and Natasha Nyaners from The Shoujo. I feel like how of you- all of them, Iron Mouse is the biggest one I know. But I'm not sure. Do you guys have a bigger name of those three? You think? No, it's 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 crazy because I do feel like, at least just based on 
personal perception, it does seem like Iron Mouse is a lot more popular now than Project Melody, especially considering how Project Melody was one of the earliest YouTubers, so to speak, and it's... I feel like Iron Mouse has done a lot of uh, promos with different people, like with the Trash Taste team, and also with Chris Broad from Abroad in Japan and other uh, YouTube uh, YouTubers, so to speak. So I feel like that's part of it, maybe in my mind, why I think she's maybe bigger than she is, maybe, but I could oh, be wrong. Yeah, for sure. And plus, she's very active because uh, it's it's known that uh, the the person behind Iron Mouse is uh, basically homebound, uh, doesn't she had she does have health condition so uh and she it you know she loves to stream she she's like you know what if i could i think she said it on the on the trash taste 24 hour live stream a while back where like if she's like you know if i if i could stream all day i could like if i like didn't have to sleep i hmm. do that and as we said she started indie and then she signed to one of the labels, so to speak. So it was an interesting journey. Mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, I guess on a personal level, that's a that's an interesting story. Uh, okay. Oh, actually, another guest that caught my attention was actually Zeron J Zhao. Another pop. Another YouTuber. Uh, okay. What, what about what about they're popular for their uh, children's books? Okay. Oh, yeah, the Iron Widow and... Okay. Yeah. They're a big guy. Uh, they're a big Yu-Gi-Oh fan as well. <laughs> well, I can tell from the from the picture. Big okay, uh, let's go through the... Let's go through the guest list as we know so far. Aaron Desmuke, voice actor. So a lot of English voice actors. Uh, Kara Eberly, Richard Epcar, Caitlin Glass, Ellen Stern. All, uh, all there, all mentioned. Alphonse is coming back. <laughs> and I guess Wait, all of them are going to be uh, in person and stuff like that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the dilemma still as we uh, trudge through the trudge through the this part, this stage of the pandemic. I guess and, it was more the thing I was thinking. It's one thing if you're in the same country, right, as the convention. But I always wondered about the border and stuff like that, how that would affect things. You know, what I mean, even as we get better, quote unquote. Yeah, and I get the feeling we'll talk about that a little bit more in due time um the one guest that has my attention is uh katsura sunshine the um the, the english rakugo master storyteller because um his story his story and how he got into that into that world is is intriguing i've seen ver uh, bits and pieces of that story over the years at least mentioned on nhk world he used to have a feature on nhk world in between episodes so and he's canadian so picking his brain would be really fascinating and i'm sure and um if you're into that into the more traditional you know comic uh comic style of japanese storytelling traditional style of uh of japanese humor this is uh he's probably one of your go-tos and i think you know worth worth mentioning and worth uh eventually uh talking to so that's what stuck out to me um mo jeff anything that would stick out to you from anime north or really irrelevant because you know 
Well, there's nothing at this point. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, good. You know, Jeff? Kevin, you know, described him as Alphonse, um, you know, fair. But for me, uh, that actor will now uh, be, um, you know, more to me, Dr. Stone. Um, mm. I, I, <laughs> I really like I love that show so much. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's it's such a fun role. There's been a lot of criti- uh, criticism from people who, um, you know, I guess manga readers or, or people who know Japanese that some of the, the voice um, or the dialogue changes. But I think that maybe that's more writing. Um, oh. But but yeah, um, I love that um, that role. Um, great actor. Uh, unfortunately, I feel that un- I have finally aged out of uh, signature hunting and photo hunting and stuff like that. Um, makes me feel a little old, but, um, you know, if there was a panel and nothing else was going on, I, I might see how big the lineup would be. Um, but I want to to echo uh, Mike and, and give a shout out to Katsura Sunshine. Um, when I uh, went to teach in Japan, uh, the consulate um, had an event and uh, he was the guest of honor. And I was so excited because I feel that um, I had just missed a performance uh, here in Canada uh, by him. I forget if it was at JCCC or um, I'm not sure if he's been to Anime North or uh, the Mississauga. It was something here. But I, I remember hearing about him and thinking like, oh, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I'd like to see that. And I was I was disappointed, uh, much like I think the aquarium here in Toronto opened like the weekend <laughs> that I left for Japan. Like there was a lot of like, oh, I'm missing out and stuff despite going to Japan for a year. Um, but when when they kind of uh, shuffled us into this uh, stage and they like unveiled him because he was a surprise. Like I don't think anyone maybe but me and one other person knew who this um, performer was. Um, but I was I was like it was a shock. Um you know, to see him there. And I was very excited. I got a photo with him. Um, and yeah, the the type, I absolutely recommend, um, you know, it, unless there's something that you, you know, absolutely adore that's happening at the same time as one of his performances. Um, I don't think that he's getting enough uh, um, hype here because it's, again, you know, at, at this point, you know, everyone, <laughs> the audience knows me. Like, I love the cultural exchange. Um in every aspect of, of media and arts and culture. So, you know, this Canadian um, who wears, um, you know, maple flag um, kimono or, or traditional clothing, which he had custom made. Um, it is Rakugo. It is a traditional um, Japanese form of store, uh, comedic storytelling, but it is absolutely accessible um, to uh, a North American and Canadian audience. Um, the cadence is, is like a combination of an English language and Japanese uh, delivery, which is great, but it's, it's not like any way insensitive. Like it, it is very much more the rhythm um, of speaking, which um, he's managed to like really combine and, and uh, do wonders with. Um, and it is legitimately funny. Like it's not, um, you know, it's not stand up. It's not improv. It is a different form of comedy um, it's a little bit more, um, a uh, little like rises and, and, and falls of like, you know, waves of, of, you know, build up. Like it's not one huge long set, uh, set up that ends with a punchline. Um, <clears throat> but there's elements of that, um, in the performance and, and 
he is an engaging um, you know performer uh, and if you have you know interest in uh, just echoing Mike again if you have interest in this sort of like um, different form of of Japanese uh, media and entertainment absolutely worth um, worth taking the time um, I, I don't know if he's stuck in Canada um, like I don't know the the scenario that um, he is is here for but it honestly doesn't matter um, take advantage of this if you can it is probably one of the most unique experiences um, you'll you'll find at anime north uh, this year um, so yeah full full recommendation there for me yeah full recommendation for me as well and I and I haven't seen nearly as many performances. I've seen the odd little bit he did for NHK. What I just remember seeing his interviews too. So I I I mean it was so long ago. I would have to re uh, look again just to research. But I it would be something that certainly has my attention. So there's our thoughts going into the virtual pre-show this weekend. Of course, the anime North talk won't end with that we are about a month and a half away and yes um maybe uh, i'll actually talk start to talk at a little bit more at length about the panel i'll be doing at anime north as well stay tuned for that but in any event that's it that's our show for tonight so uh before we end let's uh mention once again where you can contact us anime roundtable at gmail.com at Anime Roundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com. We do have a presence on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Anime Roundtable, and on YouTube. Um, hopefully, we'll I'll figure out something to add to it. And don't forget to give us a review wherever you're enjoying this, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, and the like. Because reviews, good reviews, we're begging for good reviews, will always keep us in the loop to hopefully corral a few more listeners. What type of reviews are we looking for, Kevin? We would greatly appreciate five-star reviews on any platform that lets you do so, because we would like to have more visibility. And yes, please let us know that you're alive and give us your, your feedback, your constructive criticism, uh, your praise. Your, your love and affection, you know, the works. It's always appreciated. Okay, this is the part where I say we typically do episodes every other week. Lately, we've been doing it every other month. We'll try and be a little bit more frequent. So in any event, hit the subscribe or follow button on all the platforms we're on so you can be notified whenever we add something new for your enjoyment. The theme song is entitled Fubuki Snowstorm by Pico Misaki, which is the title track of her most recent album. You can check out more of her music at PicoInfinity.com or on her Facebook page at PicoZen Music. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. And join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. <laughs>